Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the 90th percentile. This is your host, Jeff Ponce member of the prospect team here at baseball America. We are finishing up a conversation from last week. We talked a little bit about velocity. We want to get a little bit deeper into the topic today. Uh, maybe some traits that portend the ability for guys to add velocity and just pitching in general. But of course, as always, I have my co-host here with me. That is Matt Pajak of loading sports, Matt. How's it going, man? How's your week been? Oh, it's just been an absolute treat. Happy to be here. <laughs> same here, same here. I've been uh I've not been at the ballpark this week. So this has been one of my more unusual weeks where um here at the house watching games on TV, doing some number crunching, doing some scout calls, etc. All that other stuff with my job. But uh I can't wait to yeah, he's got his feet up week. on the couch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm upstairs, not recording in the dungeon today, so <laughs> Sounds like you got the raising canes waiting for you. I do. Yes, they just opened up. I think maybe the second or third raising cane location in Massachusetts, about a two mile drive from my house. So my wife just uh, surprised me right as we were starting this podcast with uh, some raising canes. So I'm committed to the show. So I'm going to finish the conversation here and know that I have uh, I have some some chicken t- uh, tenders waiting for me. Luckily, I've already gotten my workout in this morning, so I'm yeah, feeling we'll, a little uh, less. We'll guilty. make like the topic and work fast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like we have a pitch clock, you know. Yeah, <laughs> very. It's very on brand. Um, we got to talk some food first, though. I know you got some hot takes you want to come in here with. Uh, we were talking internally. We were talking. This is in in the BA chat. We were we were talking a little bit about different fast food places, the fast food places that we like somebody stumped for Jimmy John's. And I, as a, uh, as a quality Northeasterner was very offended by the pro Jimmy John's uh, talk. So I, I pinged Matt and was like, I just saw someone put a 60 on Jimmy John's. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can stand for this as a, as a true sandwich lover. I'm not even sure that it's, it's, top two or three in terms of like sub chains. And I know there's some regional ones, but I would easily take like Jersey Mike's or D'Angelo's above it. And to be honest with you, I get subs all the time and I rarely go to a chain. Like there's enough 
pizza places and sandwich places around me that there's a lot of options. If I lived a little bit further south in Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, I'd have even more options. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, I've i had Jimmy John's a few times. It is a very subpar sandwich. So, yeah, so the floor is yours. We're just, we're just full of puns today. Subpar. <laughs> we're going to talk about Jimmy John's, which is freaky fast on a velocity episode. Just, just bring the noise. All right. I, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. Uh, growing up in Massachusetts, going to school in Rhode Island, uh, living the first 22 years of my life in that part of the country, I did not realize how sandwich deficient the rest of the country was. It's like a real treat if you're in any other part of the country to find a place that actually makes a good sandwich. So, I think that's a good place to start this conversation is, is that are we sandwich snobs? Probably. Right. <laughs> but I think we do need to touch on a couple of these that are available all over the country in, in, in true evaluative form, put a 2080 grade on them. Right. So yes. Jeff, I'm going to let you go first on each of these. Oh. And hopefully, you know, there'll be some surprises in here, whatnot, you know, hopefully we, we don't get burned at the stake for this being sandwich snobs from the Northeast, but let's, let's start with the OG sandwich chain, the OG national sandwich chain. I think, I don't know. Uh, the Jared Fogle special subway. Oh, I gotta say, I, I think, I think subway is a 20. Like I don't find any role there. I don't like the bread of any type. Um, when I do go to Subway, I had to eat Subway recently. It was back in March on my way to New York, of all things. It was off the highway in New York. I needed something quick before we went into the city because I knew that we weren't going to eat until probably like 6 o'clock that night. Um, and I was starving. And uh, I, I, there's something about pre-cut deli meat that really bothers me. It could be because of where I grew up. It could also be the fact that I worked in a deli a little bit during college. Um, and it's so simple. Like it makes a, it makes a big difference. Just like fresh cut meat. Right. Um, that bothers me. And like, I end up getting, this is bad. This is actually a bad choice, but I end up getting the tuna subs at Subway. Cause I like tuna. And like, that's not even like tuna. Like <laughs> We don't even know what that is. It's not even like tilapia. It's not even bad fish. It's like non fish. Um, yeah. So that's uh that's pretty rough if I have to go for a tuna fish sandwich because I'm not feeling the uh the other options. I think Subway's as bad as it gets. Yeah, Subway's at the bottom of my scale, 25 uh for the for the sandwich chains. You know, as 20, I I I hear you loud and clear. I used to house Subway, so there's a little bit of nostalgia in there. That's where the it, five comes from. Yeah, that's where the five comes from. <laughs> Uh, their cookies were really good. I used to love the smell of Subway walking into a Subway and now I just, I probably wouldn't eat it. I never ate the pre-cut deli meat. Uh, I was always an oven roasted chicken guy, but now looking back on it, it's more like an oven roasted sponge, uh, Subway 25 wouldn't touch it. Uh, the next one, Jeff Jersey Michaels. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a, a solid five on uh, Jersey Mike's. Um, it's fresh cut. I think their steak and cheeses are pretty good. 
I do like their Italians, which I think is the sort of goat. That's the thing that you like. You, you ju- it's the hit tool. You kind of judge everything off of the Italian, right? That's yeah. that's my go-to. They got the oil. They put the seasoning on it. You know, they have they have decent meat. You know, cheese. The bread is fine. Um, and there's Gotta other variations. Yeah. So I'll throw I'll throw the I'll, yeah, I get it Mike's way exactly. I'll throw the five on that one. That's uh that's consistent, you know. Maybe it's like your seven or six hitter, but it's fine. It's consistent. I got no problem with that one. Yeah, we're in the same ballpark on this one too. I went 45 on this. Yeah, I again of of the options, you know, you have the option to get it Michael's way, which is you gotta do that. I like the fact that they've got hot sandwiches there, you know? Yes. Uh, and not that Subway doesn't, but they've got actual hot sandwiches. Yeah, they're not microwave. They're made in an actual grill. <laughs> yeah. So uh, kudos to, to Jersey Mike's. And uh, all right, option option three here. All right, I don't know if you've come across this one or not, but I think it is all over the country now. Capriati's. I don't think I've had a Capriati's. Right, so. I, there's an off chance that maybe I had it once. Like there might've been one for a hot minute at Patriot place at Gillette. And I might've had it 10 years ago. I feel like it might've been that place and it was fine. Um, but it just seemed like a better Quiznos to me, if I remember correctly, but I could be off. I could be off on this one. So only got well, a single look. I think it was years ago. If that's Capriati's. Look, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to keep it. 100 with you here. Capriati's is a 60. Oh, okay. Now, hear me out. Capriati's has a sandwich called the Hot Bobby. Yes. And it's Thanksgiving on a sandwich. Yep. I've had this before. Yep. So it's turkey. I have had this place. Cranberry stuffing. And I had it last night. And I've had it probably like three or four times now. And it's, it's... Build as like America's favorite sandwich. I could see it. It's that good. So I I haven't like done a deep dive on the menu or anything like that, but you're talking about a really unique sandwich that actually lives up to the name. And uh yeah, it's a it's a 60 for me. Uh which I didn't I wasn't really expecting. Interesting. But uh yeah, Eric Peterson. Double A pitching coach for the Cardinals put me on to Capriati's back in the fall, and uh, I haven't looked back. So I was skeptical. You know, it's a it's a sandwich chain. You know, it's what we're talking yeah. about here. It's like we're not. I was skeptical, and it 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 out outplayed what I thought it was going to be. So now, have you have you ever had that sandwich at D'Angelo's? Because I used to get that that exact like day after Thanksgiving sandwich at D'Angelo's, like pretty consistently and this is like 20 plus years ago and i'm also a fan of their number nines which is the steak and cheese with peppers and onions i didn't really have a d'angelo's close to me growing up so i didn't have it a ton um so yeah i don't really have as much of a reference point there so that's a that's a blank for me yeah the thanksgiving toasted sandwich there is uh is very similar to what you described the capriotis it comes with a little dipping uh container of gravy as well. I don't know oh, if Capriati's you should add or not. Yeah, no gravy. Yeah, I don't know, man. You may need to try a D'Angelo's uh Thanksgiving toast when you're when you're back here in New England again. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I am a I'm a D'Angelo's guy. Like I would probably put a 55 
on D'Angelo's. I'm 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 reluctant to throw a six on any sandwich chain, but I am uh, I am more pro D'Angelo's. Part of that is my my own nostalgia because that's where we would go and get subs my entire life because there was one like right next to my house. We didn't have a subway till many years later, um, so that's my go-to. Um, and then there's a bunch of other sandwiches in like Philly in new york that are like one-off spots that we i mean look like if if it's a black spot on my resume that i put a 60 on capriati's i can live with that okay fair enough but i think last one here all right and and this one probably runs the gamut depending on who you talk to all right we're gonna we're gonna talk about this is the one that started the whole conversation james jonathan's jimmy john's freaky fast Jeff, what do you got? I'm putting a 30 on it. Like, I always feel like there's not, I feel like there's not enough stuff on the sandwich. Like, it's it's slightly an upgrade from Subway. Um, the bread's probably a little bit better. But if I remember, like, there weren't a ton of options I was all that thrilled with. And it just, you know, it's just not, I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in. I'm just not in at all. I think 30 is spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've talked to some people who put 60s on it. I've talked to some people yeah. who've gone higher than that. There's some people that are comfortably around 50, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. What's, what's the appeal of Jimmy John's? You know what I mean? I think, I think the bread's fine, but yeah. it's not like, look, I would rather go to the, um, subway and get a a, a loaf of the Italian urban cheese bread. You know, I'd rather yeah. have that than than jimmy john's bread i don't know jimmy john's and the funny thing jimmy john it shouldn't be open i don't i don't like the italian it's a bad sign if the thing that i'm going for at at any sandwich place is a blt sub but i feel like when i've had jimmy john's that's been my go-to is just the blt sub because you can't really mess that up it's lettuce it's tomato it's bacon with some mayo on it and it's fine yeah, you Jimmy know. John's is bad. I don't mean to like slam on Jimmy John's by any means, but it, it's borderline <laughs> non-edible. You know, and I think we should probably get into the actual topic of this of this yeah. podcast here. We've we been ten minutes on this now, but before we do, I just want to let everyone know, and I want to make sure that I'm I'm crystal clear, black and white on this. That Jimmy John's is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, you can like whatever you like. It's your taste buds. It's not mine, but. From a couple of sandwich snobs, some sandwich elitists from the Northeast. This is our opinion. All right. Right. If you like, if you like Jimmy John, if you like Jimmy John's, I'm gonna just give you side eyes, and we'll we'll keep it at that. We'll we'll keep it safe. We're gonna keep it moving. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, let's get into the topic though, because I think this is an interesting one and I think it expands on what we had previously discussed. And that is, there is a level of athleticism that if you're looking to add velocity and with a lot of guys that do add velocity, um, that it sort of portends that, right? That like guys who are athletic, I think a good example of this is like a Nick Frosso easy to see a guy like that can potentially get up to 100 miles per hour at peak you see some other guys like this every year in the draft where it's like all right like i don't know if the skills there i don't know if he's going to throw a ton of strikes but there's absolutely um you know an ability there to uh add strength or add you know pitch velocity it's not just arm speed um just because of how efficient that person moves so you are probably as well versed in this topic as anybody. So I'll sort of give you the floor on this one, but what are the sort of things that you look at when you're evaluating players and their athleticism? Cause that's what your job is. Um, that sort of tell you like this guy could, this guy could potentially like, this could be a, a you know, he's 92 now, 93. This guy could be 96 plus. Like what, what is it that you sort of see? Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any absolutes on this topic, but I think it really opens the door to speaking on like what actually is a projection arm. Um, and projection arm is something that's thrown thrown around a whole lot more with high school guys and college guys, but Frasso is kind of an example of a college projection arm, right? Where Frasso, 6'3", 6'4", 180 pounds, really athletic, uh, 91 and 93 in college. I think he started you know, pumping some five, sixes, sevens during his draft spring. Um, maybe some of that strength was coming on, but then he wanted the pro ball and he, he added 20 pounds. And when he added 20 pounds, now he's, you know, comfortably sitting in the high nineties. Um, and I think it's that athleticism, right? So I think there's a couple different things that a pitcher can tap into, uh, in terms of trying to find that velocity. Um, once they get into pro ball, I think athleticism is kind of a leading indicator for an evaluator um, on whether an arm actually is a projection arm or not. Right. I think we see a ton of, especially again, especially on the high school side, like six, six foot to six to 175, 180 pound, you know, right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, whatever, low nineties, 
and yeah, they're all labeled projection arms, but I don't think they should all be treated equally. I think the guy who's 6'2", 180 and athletic is a projection arm more so than the guy who's 6'2", 180 pounds and, and maybe not athletic. So I think that's why it's important. And, and Jeff, this kind of, you know, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper down and, and we're going to go into the, the amateur ranks a little bit, right? So anybody that's listening, um, you know, who knows any high school pitchers or youth pitchers or whatever it is like something that I was around, I was around the game for a while at that level. And everywhere I went, if a guy was a PO, like he wanted to be treated like a PO and he, you know, he made it a point to say like, Oh, I'm not an athlete. I'm a, I'm a pitcher, you know? And I think that's a huge misconception, but I think that's like a very widely held thought for whatever reason is that Oh, the non-athletes go and pitch. Well, at the highest levels of the game, the best starting pitchers are athletes. Right. Uh, So I guess the message is if you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old and you're a PO, um, that doesn't, that's not just like a, a one-way ticket to go sit in the bullpen and eat seeds while everything else is going on and then pitch. It's, Go be an athlete, improve your athleticism. Because if you want to play this game for a longer period of time, like athleticism is going to carry you to higher levels of the game from an actual projection standpoint. So, um, I don't know, Jeff. Like from you know, we talked about Frasso being an example of an actual like college projection arm, kind of a rare case. Um, but, you know, an example on the high school side, and, you know, I'm not going to call out uh, the name by any means, but there was a, a kid that signed out of Texas, high school kid, a couple of years ago, 6'2", 180 pounds, and like a, a really poor athlete. And he got a lot of money. And he hasn't, the projection never came because the projection wasn't there. So, um, yeah, I mean, strength's important, no doubt. But uh, strength added to an athletic frame, projection. Strength added to a non-athletic frame, probably not a whole lot going to happen there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we see it every year in the draft. One of these and, – and, like, the other thing is velocity at a young age isn't necessarily indicative of future success. We saw a guy, it's been about a decade now, um, but Tyler Kolick, right? I make sure that I get, I get Kolick's first name correct because um, <laughs> there's been, there's been a few Kolick's, um, but Kolick, you know, 27 years old now, I think, I think he's retired. Um, went second overall in the 2014 uh, MLB draft. And I mean, he's never, he never advanced beyond, a ball and he threw really hard at the time of the draft not really all that projectable and that was kind of it um this is also sort of prior to us having a good understanding of fastball movement and the certain types of shapes that certain velocities that are actually unique um but i think he's sort of a good example of like a guy that people went crazy on because he threw hard really young and there's these other guys that are better athletes, more projectable, maybe a better fastball shapes. 
guys that might even end up in college that were 89 to 92, but you move it forward five or six years. And those guys are more three to five, three to six or whatever with better shape, with more capabilities and abilities in terms of, you know, locating the, the baseball and, and understanding sequencing and all these sort of things. Pitching's hard. It's more than just velocity. I think we said that in the last episode. Um, and I think too often people are like on the polar opposites of the extremes, you know, and not everybody can add velocity either. There's plenty of guys that are pitchability lefties or whatever that sit 89 to 92 and they're good in college and they come into pro ball and they're fine in the lower levels. And then they just never progress beyond that sort of pitchability type and go and look at, go and look at, you know, pitchers that are successful in the major leagues. Like even guys that are number four starters for like six, seven years, there's just not that many guys that are these like soft tossing pitchability types without athleticism. You know, um, you have to be an incredible outlier. I know we use like, you know, Kyle Hendricks as an example, but I even think guys that are up velocity wise from that, like those lower nineties guys, you don't see a lot of those guys either, unless they have like a really special secondary pitch. Um, so who are some other types though, that have added velocity that, you know, maybe some of it came down to like different, different reasons. Cause it's not always athleticism. There's a variety of different ways that guys sort of get to that point. I know one that you had discussed before the show was Spencer Strider. Um, and you know, Strider obviously is not the biggest guy, but you look at his lower half and he's like incredibly physical. Um, and there were some mechanics changes, you know, once he was coming off of that arm injury at Clemson. Yeah. Uh, Strider, I think is just an example of a guy who's probably wired a little bit differently. Right. So like that guy kind of set his mind to, I'm going to go reinvent myself. Uh, and he went and he did it. Right. So I think if you look at the way that he is, is set up mechanically now versus how he was set up mechanically at Clemson, it's two completely different pitchers. I think you look at the lower half, it's two completely different lower halves. I mean, it might as well just be a different human being at this point. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of the, the poster child of drop and drive, um, which I think depending on who you talk to, like it creates that lower release height. And if you have, you know, a lot of induced vertical break then creates the invisible fastball. And I think that's what he's got working for him. I think, um, that's starting to become popular. Uh, so he's. He's kind of a, a pioneer in that regard. I think Bryce Miller uh, is is kind of in that mold, an invisible fastball at the top of the zone, a lot of induced vertical break. So, um, yeah, Strider probably more so of just, you know, a dedication to optimizing his mechanics and, and figuring out, you know, the best way to work with what he has. Um, and obviously he's, he's quadzilla. So, um, I bet he can move some weight. <laughs> what one would think, uh, one would think for sure. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like you, br- you brought up a guy like Bryce Miller, where like one of the things that when I first watched Bryce Miller at Texas A&M, and this is a guy who's, you know, a, whatever, fourth year players, you know, potential senior sign, um, 
you know, I think probably gets drafted. I don't know in the teens in terms of like rounds in 2020, if we have a full draft ends up back at school, you know, still wasn't, you know, whatever top 100 players and draft on any lists. Um, he was a great mover. Like the way that he moves in the mound, his ability to, you know, get downhill. He's not a, a super small guy and create like outlier release traits. And I think that's what you see with a lot of these guys that have these sort of flat VA fastballs is they're guys that get downhill. Well, there there's a lot of balance within the, you know, the operation. I think that's something that gets kind of like over, over, um, or uh, ignored a little bit is like how balanced guys are like how and how you know well sequenced their bodies are in terms of like where their arm is when they're you know their plant foot hits the ground and just how well they repeat um that's a huge part of pitching and being able to land your pitches but also repeat shapes and you know like all that sort of stuff um and Miller's always had that. Like that's one of the things, like the first time I watched Bryce Miller, it was very easy to see that he got into good positions. And it's one of the reasons that as soon as he got into that Seattle system within like six months, he was popping a hundreds, which is not something that he was doing as far as I know, at least the best of my knowledge at Texas A&M. And he's held that he's held velocity with great shape. I mean, he gets as much, you know, induced vertical break as anybody in the big leagues and he does it from a really unique slot and he wouldn't be able to do all those things if he wasn't a good mover and you know i think the guys that we see that have a lot of success max scherzer is a really good mover you know um i'm not sure that like verlander is a crazy mover but like verlander like is very efficient in his lower half and like how sequenced up he is how well he repeats and it's one of the reasons that Verlander has had velocity dating back to when he first broke into the big leagues and when he was in college and he's now 40 years old and is still, you know, um, pitching fairly well in the big league level. I think we see that. Right. Um, and a lot of that is athleticism. I mean, are there athletes that maybe don't repeat all that well, you know, because they're like, um, you know, sort of like, hyper movement patterns almost like a cody bellinger is like a hitter guys right. that are so freaky like that they move so well at times that, like they lack a certain level of stiffness that maybe is good in baseball and i think you see that with swings and you see that with mechanics um but then there's other guys like one of the names that we brought up ahead of time is like chris sale and sale is like a very unusual unique mover and i think it happened eventually but it took like eight years of everybody being like, this guy's going to break. This guy's going to break for him to finally break. And he had, you know, pretty close to a Hall of Fame career prior to that actually happening. Um, so there's different ways that guys move too. Um, and I guess like, I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but when you look at a guy like Chris Sale and how that guy moves, what's unusual about him versus other guys that he can make that work? and generate the velocity that he does. Cause there's not a lot of lefties at that slot that have ever been guys that have at any point in their life been able to touch hundred miles per hour and sail at his peak could do that. Well, I think, you know, just from the eye test, you're probably looking at some combination of athleticism and um, it's just the levers being as long as they are. Right. So I think that's, 
a huge part of this conversation is, is like, where does velocity come from? Right. And there's some things that are within your control. And then there's some things that are just not within your control. Right. And I think that's why you talk about like, okay, this guy's a good mover and this guy might not be a great mover. And this guy's athletic and this guy's not athletic. And, you know, this guy's got long levers. This guy doesn't have long levers, whatever. So ultimately when you're looking at athleticism, or when you're looking at velocity, it comes down to athleticism, right? Lower half power output. It comes down to how long your arms are because it's just basic. I don't even know what you'd say here. Physics, I guess. Think like a windmill. Like, would you want to get hit by a, a little pinwheel or would you want to get hit by, you know, one of those really slow moving, you know, windmills or wind turbines out in a field in Arizona, right? Like you would not want to get hit by that thing. It slows, it's moving. That thing is producing a lot of power. Yeah. Uh, just because of how long it is. Right. So it's the same thing that we talk about on the hitting side, exit velocity, longer levers. Yeah. Probably more swing and miss, but longer levers, probably more exit velocity. So um, I think that's an important thing to consider here is, you know, if you're looking for like the perfect profile of, velocity it's an athlete that has long levers that has uh mass that has uh really good movement patterns right so i think that's where like when we were talking about spencer strider before like for him it's just optimizing his movement pattern right and that's kind of where his velocity jump came from i would bet was that uh he just became a much more efficient mover and i think on the the topic last week it was like let's talk about velocity versus command and you got people on both sides of the spectrum and i think you know you've probably got people on different sides of the spectrum or quadrants in terms of where velocity comes from oh it's you know there's the people that'll die on the hill of it's all about the you know the way that the athlete moves yes that's important but that's not the only place that velocity comes from right and that's where when you look at lower half power output, I think that's a really, that's, that's the motor of the athlete. I think that's really important. Um, and then obviously there's the, the God given frame that you've been, you've been handed. Right. So like the guy who's six foot six, two, like there's only so much that he can do with what he's got there. Right. But like the guy who's six, four, six, five, combine that with a certain level of athleticism, and I, I think that's that's probably what you're looking at with Chris Sale, right? And I think going back to like what you said before, like, yeah, two of the freakiest athletes I've ever tested that were pitchers. Uh, you know, I, I can say one of them, John McMillan at Texas Tech. And you can go look that dude up. And he's been 100 to 102 from the right side for the past five years. But it hasn't translated. And I think that comes back to what you're saying about you know being able to repeat right so it's not all about athleticism but that's the motor can make the make the ball come out really fast um so again that's why it's not just cut and dry absolute you know black and white there's so many different things that go into this and that's why there's so many different guys and so many different profiles that have success at a high mm -hmm. level thrown hard yeah and i think you know we we've seen all different types of of pitchers there's guys like a mitch keller who you know it's taken him a while to get the pitching side of it down but like i think the thing that everyone saw with keller from like day one is it's easy velo like you know he he doesn't have to grunt to get to 97 98 
um, you know, anything above that. Uh, it's pretty efficient movement. And certain guys are like that. There's just, it's, it's, it's easy, you know? Um, and I'm yeah, not even and, saying it's and, and, Jeff, Sorry. I'm, I'm going to just say this, like I am in the camp of if the velocity comes easy, that's a great place to start. Yeah. So that's, I guess, more so than anything, like what I'd advocate for and talked about it before with the high school guys, like go be an athlete. Cause there's actual projection there or whatever. I'm not saying that there isn't projection for, it's just a whole lot harder to, to yeah. get to more velocity if if you don't start with doing it easy right so that's the camp that i sit in you know you anybody can believe what they want to believe and they can say what they want to say and you know some of them are probably right in their own regards right uh but the the hill that i'll probably die on is you know that athleticism translates to throwing hard and doing it easy. And I'd rather start there than start at grunting and hat falling off and head whack at 90 and try and figure out how to get this guy to throw 96, you know? Yeah. And I think with those guys, like you just brought up the, the head whack guys, the guys that are grunting for it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, in order to get to that, you're doing all these things already and getting out of, like good movement patterns or whatever, and maybe physically you're not strong enough. Um, you you got to worry about how that projects, because when you do that, you're going to get hurt. Like, right. you know, it almost almost pitching in general, pretty pretty high risk that you're going to deal with injury. And then you see guys like that, and it's like, all right, like this this guy's probably going to end up with an arm or a shoulder injury, or even a lower half injury too. Like, you know, so much of pitching is is really in your legs. Like there's very few guys like Bruce Dark Gratterall, uh, who's just incredibly strong in his lower half, you know, reliever for the Dodgers was with the twins for a bit. Um, there's very few guys like that, that really have no movement in their lower half, but are able to generate hundred miles per hour, upper nineties consistently. Um, and that's one of those things you just have to be incredibly strong, like just a, a physical, freak you know um there's just very little movement there and he's able to do it but there's just not a lot of guys like that so i mean you're talking about some of these college guys that have added velo like a george kirby for example who was like a command guy who's not a tremendous athlete some of it comes down to just getting like physically stronger and then just being as like efficient with your lower half as you possibly can you know so you're, you're getting into stuff and being you know maybe like more quad dom dominant than you had been previously, or, you know, excuse me, um, uh, more like glute dominant than you had been previously, like getting into like your, you know, into your actual butt. Like that's why you see pitchers that have big booties all the time. <laughs> this podcast is really going off the rails now, but yeah. Um, going off the rails. You want to, you want to bring up Jimmy Johns again? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you got to eat Jimmy Johns and lift weights and you will, you will be able to throw hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> Jimmy John sucks. Anyway, uh, George Kirby is a really, it, that's a really good call out. And George Kirby is a guy who's six, four long levers moves really, really well. Probably isn't, you know, the best athlete by any means, but like, he's an example of a guy who's having a ton of success at the big league level. But yeah. I, I do want to throw in there exceptional command and not a ton of swing and miss. 
Yeah. I think he's one of those guys that uh, he hits his spots consistently. It's one of the reasons that he's been, you know, as good as he has. And it's, it's fastball command too. I mean, like the secondaries are fine. He throws them for strikes, but you know, looking at like his strike rates and like his in zone rates when he was in the minor leagues, he was somebody that was like near 80% strike rate. And you really don't see that even with guys that barely walk anybody. Kirby was like exceptional in that regard. Um, the fact that he was able to add three to four ticks onto his average fastball and still maintain that command is just like very, very outlier. And it's one of the things that makes him such a unique talent, you know? Yeah, he's one of those exceptional command guys that, like, if, if you didn't have that, I don't know. I don't know who George Kirby would be. It's a good question. You know, um, even if he ticks down a little bit in command, it's definitely not like a mid to like, you know, two or I don't think he's an ace, but like a number two or three. He's probably more like a five, like six, like more of like a death starter. We see guys like that that are like 92 to 93 with some command. They maybe add velocity and then lose a little a little bit of that command. And then it doesn't work, you know, because um, right. it's not like his shape is like super exceptional, you know, and it's something we got. We talked about last week where there's just a lot less margin for error in the zone with guys like this, if you're not throwing super hard and don't have Bryce Miller sort of movement profiles, you know, um, even if you do throw hard, I think it's one of the reasons that like Hunter green struggles at times where like, if green is getting into some of his trouble zones, like his pitch shapes aren't so good. And his deception isn't like that wacky, you know, he doesn't hide the ball that well, that he's not going to fool that many guys. So he needs to be at that upper end of velocity in order for all of this to function, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, this discussion, the previous discussion for the people listening, if you didn't listen to part one, go check out part one. Uh, the, the bottom line on, on velocity and, and how it contributes and, you know, talking about the command and, and all, the whole topic can just put you in a blender. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and I think there were some times probably in this conversation, sometimes in the last conversation where it's like, if your head's spinning a little bit, like you're not alone. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, that's the beauty of it. And that's why that like scouts are really, really good at what they do. Yep. Um, and that's why there's always opportunities in the draft in round four, round five, round eight, round nine, round 15, whatever it might be. You know, and that's why guys go, you know, the indie ball route. They get signed out of indie ball, and then they do debut in the big leagues and all that. It's, it's just, there's so many different moving parts that go into having success, and it's it's not like, hey, that guy checks box A, B, C, D, boom, first rounder, boom, second rounder, boom, third mm-hmm. rounder, and then like, yep, all their their trajectories went right as planned. I mean, if anything, pitching is. It's probably right up there with evaluating quarterback and football is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. So because there's underlying underlying traits that are like difficult to evaluate, right? There's some makeup stuff there, some work ethic stuff there, some physical things, and it's not on the stat sheet. Like I feel like with hitting, you know if a guy can hit velocity – 
you know if he can hit spin you know if he chases or not you know what the contact's like you can figure out how hard he hits the ball where with pitching you can have all of these elements like you know in sort of neat boxes like he throws strikes and he's got this and he's got that and this you know uh you know pitch movement is good and he throws hard enough and he's got three secondaries he's got feel for but then the guy gets hit because he doesn't hide the ball like it's very easy to track the ball out of his hands hitters are all over it he's tipping something off there's so many small things that you need to be good at in pitching to make it all work um that you can look at two guys at 18 years old with very similar stuff and have them physical physical you know bodies everything could be exactly the same and then you can go in just wildly different directions just based on little things here and there in terms of what works so yeah i agree i feel like even within this conversation i get myself into a blender at times where it's like yeah but this and this and that like there's <laughs> there's so many moving parts with pitching um i guess that's another pun but it's uh it's difficult to just be even like 60% accurate with it sometimes. And the other part of it is like pitching, like with, you know, injuries. Like we we don't know what guys are dealing with sometimes or, you know, how some of these injuries impact how their bodies even move and the things that they can do three, four years down the line, which is a totally different conversation. But, you know, it takes its toll, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm sure this won't be the last time that we talk about velocity because it's, you know, such a large part of the game and it kind of weaves its way into a number of different conversations, but you know, kind of wrap on my end. It's like, there's no absolutes. Uh, number one thing for me, bet on athleticism. And again, Jimmy Johns isn't good. <laughs> on that note we'll uh we'll wrap this up it's been another episode of the 90th percentile i'm jeff Ponce. he's matt pajak you guys are listening thanks for tuning in say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.